Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Romans. Today is episode 540, looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. Let's read our passage. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He's writing this from Corinth on his third missionary journey, and he intends to go to Rome after he accompanies the collection to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's given this theology of the gospel. He began with sin, the problem. The problem is that everybody's a sinner separated from God. If you know nothing about God, you know nothing about the scripture, you're still a sinner because it's obvious to anyone who will look around him that there is a God and they fall short of his standards. If you are someone who knows of God and knows the scriptures, you're still a sinner separated from God because of sin, because the only solution to sin is to be justified, that is to be declared righteous by God. And that happens through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And when we come to God in faith, repent of our sins, confess our sins, God forgives us declares us righteous, that is, justifies us, and also adopts us. We saw last time Paul talking about life in the Spirit, and it's called the Spirit of Adoption, that God doesn't just forgive us of sin, he also adopts us as his very children. And we ended the section last time with this phrase that we're not just children of God, but heirs, co-heirs with Christ. He said, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So part of that inheritance is an inheritance of suffering, but a future expectation of glory. So he's following that line of thought now. And some of this incorporates this already not yet thinking that in some respects, the kingdom of God is already here. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God but it's still to be fully inaugurated. That won't happen till his second coming. That's the not yet part of it. 
though much of these things we have already experienced, but some of them are still yet to be seen, like the inheritance of the suffering. That's already, but the glorification, that's not yet. So let's dive into it today. We're looking at verses 18 through 30 of chapter 8. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So that's just following from what he said in verse 17 about this inheritance of suffering and glory. So he says that. And if you want to compare the two, the the suffering, that's nothing compared to the, the glory that's going to be revealed. Suffering already, glory not yet. Now, some people consider glory to be the theme of this section today because he begins with this mention of glory and then he closes it out with the mention of glory. What we're looking forward to. So verse 19. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Well, he's talking about creation here. He's talking about creation having this hope of what's going to happen. Well, this is kind of just assigning a personality to creation, much like when Jesus said, the rocks will cry out. The Bible a lot of times uses language like that. And so this is just figurative language about the issue that all of creation actually was cursed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden, but then there was a curse on all of the world because of their sin. So there's a fallenness, a a decay that's in all of creation as a result of sin. And so he's taking the point of creation here. Uh, Creation's in this state of decay, the state of fallenness, this curse that it's under. But there's the future to look forward to where it will be transformed from this state of decay into the new heaven and the new earth. Continues verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So here he's continuing this personification of creation, that the creation is groaning, waiting for this future redemption, this new heaven, new earth. So creation is groaning. Then verse 23. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption of the redemption of our bodies. So now it's creation groans, we groan also. Now who groans? Those who have the Spirit, those who have been justified by faith, adopted by God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Those are the people groaning for the future, for this new heaven, new earth, new creation. So creation groans, we groan. It makes the point waiting for adoption. He said earlier, last time, we've been adopted. Well, he links adoption here specifically with the redemption of our bodies. So, this already, not yet. Relationally, yes, we have already been adopted. But the glorification, the resurrection, that's 
not yet. That's still to happen. So here he specifically links this adoption with the redemption of our bodies. That is the resurrection. Verse 24. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. There's a lot of words there. What he's basically talking about here is hope. What is hope? It's expectation. It's eagerly awaiting. It's not a wishful thinking. It's confidence that it's going to happen. But it's not going to happen yet. That's in the not yet aspect of things for all this reconciliation of creation with God to happen in the future. And he specifically says, well, that's hope. If you see it, though, it's not hope because it's already achieved. Hope is that expectation, that confidence that it's going to happen. Now, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's a lot of language there, and you can make some different arguments about what all this is getting at. But he's talking about what happens between the here and now and the not yet of the future. And we're groaning in this process, awaiting for the final action to take place. And what happens is the Spirit gets us through this time. So, different aspects of this. One is, we do not know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit does. Why is that? Well, he kind of answers that down in verse 27. He intercedes according to the will of God. So, the Holy Spirit understands the will of the Father. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God, God the Spirit. And so, who better to know what, how best to pray than the Holy Spirit. So we don't know what to pray for because we don't really fully understand the will of God. We know a lot about the will of God, but not perfectly. There's a lot we don't know and don't understand. But the Holy Spirit does. And so when we're at a loss and don't even know how to pray, what to pray about, the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit assists us in our prayer. He says, even when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit does, and the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. So we had creation groaning, our groaning, and now the Holy Spirit groaning. There's big debate here. Okay, who's actually doing the groaning? Are we doing the groaning and the Holy Spirit's prompting that, or is the Holy Spirit himself groaning? I go with the Holy Spirit himself groaning because that's what it says, is the Spirit groans. And it says inexpressible groaning, which just simply means words that cannot be spoken. So it sounds like not with words. And what does that mean, the groaning that's from the Holy Spirit that's not with words? Well, some people want to link this to speaking in tongues. I, I think that's a big jump. One thing is that in Corinthians, Paul be very clear, not everybody speaks in tongues. But here, everybody has this experience of the Holy Spirit groaning. So I don't think it's some kind of special prayer language. This is the Holy Spirit doing this. I think it's the Holy Spirit praying on our behalf in a way that we don't understand. But that's okay, because he does, and he knows best. 
And he who searches our hearts also knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints. Holy Spirit knows what's going on. He searches our heart. He knows the will of God. And he steps in as an intercessor between us and the Father. Verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, sometimes we look at that and say, well, just everything's going to work out. Now, remember, this is in the context of this already not yet scenario and the current sufferings of the future glory. And while that does work at a, a micro level, an individual thing, this is in the grand scheme of things, God works things out to make his plan work. Even though we've got suffering now, the current inheritance, we know it's all going to work out according to God's plan because God is working his plan and making his plan work. And that was in light of the previous section that we don't even know how to pray because we don't understand the will of God. Well, we do know this. We do know that God will make it all work for his purpose. Verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's a lot of debate here and, and trying to bring this into a theology of salvation they call soteriology. I don't think that's what Paul intends here. There's meaning behind it, though, so I don't think we completely ignore that. One of the arguments is, what does foreknew mean? Normally, we think foreknew means knew about this beforehand. Well, that's speaking of foreknew as knowledge. Some say this would, should actually be foreknew in the idea of relationship. So it's the idea there that I know you, you know me. That's a relational type of knowing, not just knowing facts, not just knowing information, knowledge. So it's not so much knowledge of who is going to do what, but relationally. And so it's saying that you know God determined a relationship before all this happened. And because of that, he predestined, that is, set in place beforehand, that we would be conformed in the image of his Son. Then verse 30, And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is given a specific order with an actual sequence. So it begins with those he predestined. Well, who did he predestine? Just earlier he said those he foreknew. So predestined means planned in advance. He also called, and called means to prompt by the Holy Spirit that they are a sinner in need of salvation, in need of forgiveness. And those he called, he justified. We've talked a lot about justified. Justified is declared righteous, and that's based on faith. And those he justified, he also glorified. One problem here is glorified in the uh, past tense here. It's, it's really the Greek is aorist, but it functions in, in English much like past tense. But that's a future event. Well, from this perspective, really stepping outside of time, from God's perspective, well, it's already a done deal. So it's not too weird to use the, the past tense here. Now, what's this saying here? The, the biggest thing to take away with this is, God's in charge, God has a plan, and God makes this plan work. 
Now, what a lot of people focus on here is the idea of predestination. Does this mean God chooses beforehand who will come to faith? Well, that's basically what it says here. But don't get too weirded out about it, because the Bible also says that free will is required to experience salvation. So the Bible teaches predestination. Absolutely. You can't get around it. You've got to paint some funny pictures to skirt around it just because you don't like it. But then it also paints the picture of free will. That's why there's a invitation. Come and believe. Come be reconciled with God. And so we don't live in both worlds here. And that's where there's tension. And a lot of times in the biblical truth, there is tension. Is God absolutely sovereign and in charge? Absolutely. Are we responsible for our own sin? Absolutely. Did God predestine who will be saved? Yeah, absolutely. Do we come to God of our own free will? Yeah, we do. But, and all these things work together, and, and they work together from God's perspective. It's where uh, a good way to think about it is, from God's perspective, he's in charge, he's got a plan, and it has been laid out in advance. From our perspective, we live in a world that looks like free will. And so that's how we live and operate. But we trust God and know that he's in charge and he's doing things and making his plan work. So even though we do have that already inheritance of suffering, we have the hope, the promise of the not yet inheritance of glorification. And all this in between here is showing that God's in charge and will make it all happen. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Romans.